Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Take your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew is a Jew writing to the Jews about the king of the Jews. And Jesus, according to Matthew, here in his gospel, Jesus is the king by prophecy, by paternity, and virginity. He starts off in chapter 1 talking about the heritage of the king. The heritage of the king. Matthew points out that Jesus is the son of David, and he is the descendant of the seed of Abraham, the heritage of the king there in chapter 1. And Jesus has a right to the throne. And then in chapter 2, we saw, we looked at the homage paid to the king, the Christmas story. Who doesn't love the Christmas story? The wise men come, bearing gifts, offering to Jesus, proclaiming him as king, And they give him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And even in those gifts, they are proclaiming and acknowledging Jesus as king. Heritage of the king, chapter 1. Homage to the king in chapter 2. And then also in chapter 2, we see the hostility toward the king. As Herod becomes hostile against Jesus because people are proclaiming him as the king. Also in chapter 2, we see the humility of the king, the humility of the king, because he was born in a lowly city called Nazareth. We talked about that. The heritage of the king, the homage to the king, hostility toward the king, and the humility of the king. And then last week, we looked at in chapter 3, the heralding of the king. You remember John the Bee? Remember John the Baptist? We called him John the Bee. Had a lot of fun with that study. He shows up wearing stinky camel hair, grasshopper legs hanging out his mouth because he ate locusts and wild honey in the wilderness. And he shows up and he says, repent. Interesting, his message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And all of Jerusalem and all of Judea And all of the scribes and all the Pharisees, they all came out to hear John's message. And Jesus came out to hear John's message. And Jesus came out to be baptized by John. And John baptized Jesus, put him down in the water. And when he came up out of the water, we heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Bible says it was at that time that the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Now, As it is true, when the blessings come down to us, the battle breaks out around us. Have you noticed? 
The blessings come down to us. The battle breaks out around us. Jesus had just received a tremendous blessing as the spirit came down upon him. And he was empowered for ministry and service to the father. This was a very important moment in the life of Jesus. And as soon as the blessing comes down, the battle breaks out in chapter four. Jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness for a battle with the devil. He's being tempted by the devil here in chapter four. Now, let me give you an outline. You know, I love outlines. They just make things simple for me. So so here's an outline. There are three areas of of which Satan tempted Jesus. Satan tempted and questioned. Number one, the father's provision. You should write this down. The father's provision in verses four or verses one through four. Pardon me. The father's provision. And then Satan tempted and questioned the father's protection. You'll find that in verse five through seven, the father's protection. And then last, but certainly not least, Satan tempted and questioned the father's promise in verses eight through 11. So we have the father's provision, verse one through four, the father's protection, verse five through seven, and the father's promise, verse eight through 11. That's what we're going to talk about in your Bibles Go with me, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're there, say a hearty amen. amen. Oh, that was weak, you guys. If you're there, say amen. amen. Much better then. Now, verse 1, I got to tell you right up front. Verse 1 is one of those verses that people overlook whenever they're teaching this chapter or reading this chapter. But this is an incredibly important verse. Very important to the whole... This verse is important to the whole gospel of Matthew. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And in verse 2, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now, I've often wondered why, why Matthew put that in there. I don't get it. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Afterward, he was hungry. Uh, Yeah, that's what usually happens when you fast for 40 days and 40 nights. But now, verse 3, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God. When Satan came to Jesus, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, it is written. Circle that. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, then the second temptation in verse five, then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down for it is written. Satan is quoting scripture. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Then Jesus said to him in verse seven, it is written, circle that again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Well, then the third and the final temptation again in verse eight, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Satan's always wanting people to worship him. Always has. And here he's tempting Jesus to worship him yet again. 
And then Jesus said to him in verse 10, away with you, Satan, that's enough. For it is written, circle that, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And then in verse 11, the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, stop right there. Before we get into the temptations of Jesus, let me just point out to you two questions that are often asked whenever this text is read or taught. Two questions that are often asked. Number one, why would God allow his son to be tempted? Why would God allow his son to be tempted? And then secondly, the second question that is often asked is, could Jesus have given in to the temptation and fallen into sin? Why would God allow his son to be tempted? And could Jesus have given into the temptation and fallen into sin? Let's take the first question. Why would God allow his son to be tempted? Well, right off the top of my head as I was doing this study, I pulled out from the scriptures five reasons why I believe in the scriptures teach that the father allowed his son to be tempted. Here's number one. First of all, understand that Jesus' victory over temptation demonstrated that he is the sinless savior. His victory over temptation shows to you and shows to me that he is the sinless savior. He didn't give in. He didn't fail. He didn't fall into sin. And so this proves that he was the sinless son of God. Number two, this temptation exposes Satan's tactics. The tactics that Satan used against Jesus are the very same tactics that Satan will use against us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. So we can look at this text and draw from it the tactics that Satan is using against Jesus are the very same tactics that Satan will use against you and against me as believers. So we get insight in how Satan works. Why would God allow his son to be tempted? Number three, Jesus' victory in the wilderness was a preview of coming attractions. What do you mean, Rodney? Well, we know. This is a preview of Jesus' ultimate victory over the devil that will take place. Because see, we'll, we'll look at the story. Jesus gets the victory here. And we can see Jesus, most certainly we know the end of the story. I like to read the end of the book because I know the end of the story. And then I work my way backwards. And we know the book of Revelation clearly tells us that Satan will be bound and cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus ultimately gets the victory over Satan. We learn that from this text. Why would God allow his son to be tempted? Number four, the victory in the wilderness with Jesus prepared him to become our sympathetic high priest. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, tells us that Jesus was tempted just like us. The only difference is, he didn't sin. And so he understands what we're going through. He is our sympathetic high priest. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 tells us, 
For in that he himself suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You see? Number five, Jesus' blueprint for victory over the devil and temptation becomes our example in how we are going to get victory over Satan. We find that Jesus, how does he get victory over Satan? Well, let me just fast forward. Let me get ahead of myself. Jesus gets victory over Satan not by claiming victory over Satan. That's important. Jesus gets victory over Satan not by having long discussions and prayer meetings with Satan. As we see on television oftentimes, Satan, I tell you that You come out of her. Satan, I'm going to give you a black eye. Satan, I'll kick you in the shins. Satan, if you don't, and people find themselves, have you seen it? Am I the only one? People find themselves in conversations with Satan and prayer meetings with Satan. I've been in prayer meetings where, you know, Satan, we just bind you and we, you know, and one time I got to admit, don't tell anybody. Okay. I got to admit, I, um, I was in a prayer meeting one time and I just was, I almost clocked it how long this one individual just kept talking to Satan. Satan, we bind you and Satan come out of this person and Satan this and Satan that and Satan this and Satan that. And it was like, hello, why spend all that time praying to Satan and binding Satan when you could use those same words to glorify God? And to know and to receive God's victory. So Jesus getting victory over Satan, he doesn't do it in the flesh. How does he do it? I had you circle it three times. He says, it is written. Jesus got victory over Satan by quoting the word of God. Just simply quoting the word of God. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not just quoting the word of God. There there, there needs to be an obedience by you to the word of God. You need to be obedient to the word and you need to be submitted to the word and submitted to the father and then quote the word. Jesus was submitted to his father and he said to Satan time and time and time again, it is written. You know, people wear the WWJD on their bracelets and on paraphernalia and hats and T-shirts. You know what? If we're going to get victory over Satan, we really do need to do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do when he got victory over the devil? He quoted the word of God. It is written over and over and over. Five reasons why the father allowed Jesus to be tempted. And then the second question, could Jesus have actually fallen into sin? Here's a short answer for you. No. No. Deep theology, Rodney. No. Why? Because Jesus was incapable of sinning. We call that, or theologians call this, the impeccability of Christ. What does that mean? It simply means that Jesus was impeccable. He was perfect. He was not able to sin. He could not sin. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13 tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. Actually, verse 18 tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. So Jesus could not sin. Now, although Jesus could not sin, it doesn't mean that he didn't feel the full force of the temptation. He did. 
You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is in the garden praying, and he's praying so hard and feeling the full force of temptation and the weight of sin and in prayer that he begins to sweat great drops of blood. He felt the full force of the temptation, but he did not. He could not sin. Someone once said it like this. In his deity, he could not sin, but in his humanity, he was definitely tempted. I like that. So the question would be then, the question would follow. If Jesus couldn't sin, then how valid is the temptation? Well, that's actually an easy question to answer. Let me ask you a question. Is it easier to give in to temptation or to resist temptation? And I know y'all in church and everything, but you can, you, can, you can answer that. Is it easier to give in to temptation or to resist temptation? Thank you. It's easier to give in to temptation. It would be, for example, like if you set before me a half gallon of chocolate satisfaction ice cream from Harris Teeter. That is the greatest of all satanic temptations. It is evil beyond belief. And you can't just eat one spoon because that isn't the will of God. And so for me to resist temptation is greater than to just simply eat the whole half gallon of chocolate satisfaction ice cream. I mean, you know, it's really good. I mean, with a name like satisfaction, chocolate satisfaction, you know, this is really good ice cream. And so it's hard to resist the temptation. So Jesus resisting temptation and thus showing his power and might and strength. Notice in verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Mark chapter 1 verse 12 says, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Luke chapter 4 verse 1, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit was very much involved in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was always full and controlled by the Spirit. And it was that controlling, compelling work of the Holy Spirit in his life that drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, there is a teaching going around in the church That says when you are truly walking the spirit filled life. That you are immune somehow from the temptations and the testings of the devil. That is a lie. Thank you. When the brother said that's a lie. It is. It's the truth. I mean, that's the truth that it's a lie. It's a lie. The Bible does not teach that. As a matter of fact, I have found it to be true that when you are really filled with the spirit, Satan will oftentimes come at you even stronger and harder. How many people have come to me and said, you know, Pastor Ronnie, you know, when I gave my life to Christ, you know, things got bad for me. Things got worse. And before I was a Christian, I mean, I was doing my thing and, and, and partying and having fun and all of these sinful things I was doing and everything was fine. But soon as I became a Christian, all hell broke loose. They say, and I tell them, welcome to the kingdom. 
I mean, this is the kingdom. Because when you give your life and your heart to Jesus Christ, Satan is not happy about that. He's going to come against you. He's going to come against you at the moment that you say, Lord, I receive you and believe in you. It's at that very moment that you have just made an enemy. And Satan's going to come after you. I mean, think about it. He doesn't care about any dead fish flowing downstream. Why would he care? It's just a dead fish flowing downstream, going with the flow of the world, going with the way the world and people go. I mean, so what? What difference does that make to him? But as soon as you say, you know, I'm going to stop going with the flow of the world. I'm going to stop um, partying with the world. I'm going to begin to turn my life around and give my life to Jesus and begin to serve him and to begin to love him and to begin to worship him. When you say that, hell really will break loose. That's just the way it goes. So I have found, and I think you have too, when you're filled with the Spirit, oftentimes things get worse. Being filled with the Spirit does not eliminate or lessen the impact of temptation. You see, Satan steals. He's come to steal, to rob and destroy, the Bible says. He tempts. Satan threatens, and he never stops. Do you know that Satan never has a good day? I mean, think about that. Satan never wakes up in the morning, ah, it's such a beautiful day. I'm going to have a good day. He never does. He never stops tempting you. He never stops beating you over the head. He never stops coming against your thoughts. He never stops coming against your emotions. Never. He never stops. He never has a good day. You know, the story is told, of a lady who had something good to say about everybody. And one man said, I bet you have something nice to say about the devil himself. Well, the lady replied, well, you've got to admire his persistence. It's true. Satan is persistent and persistently on the prowl for Christian prey. But you know what? The Lord Jesus has gotten the victory. Amen, saints? Jesus has gotten the victory. Doesn't that make you excited? If it doesn't, you're dead. If that doesn't get you going, if that doesn't make you, well, yeah, okay, all right, fine. I wasn't with you up till now, Rodney, but now I'm with you, man. Jesus got the victory. Yeah! (laughs) He's got the victory. And because I know he's got the victory, I have the victory. For no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I can do all things through Christ because he strengthens me, not in my flesh. I can do nothing in my flesh. Well, yeah, I can. I can really mess things up in my flesh. I guess I can. But in Christ, I can do all things. And it's interesting to note. You want to note this here. You want to note this. On one side, Satan is tempting. On the other side, God is testing. That's important to note. The same circumstance, the same situation, Jesus in the wilderness, hungry, fasting, For 40 days and 40 nights, Satan is using that time to tempt. God is using that time to test. You see, God never tempts people. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. This is in the New Living Translation. I love it. And remember, no one who wants to do wrong should ever say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from the lore of our own evil desires. 
Thus, evil desires lead to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death. You see, God was testing Jesus to prove that he was the sinless lamb of God sent to take away the sin of the world. While Satan, in the same situation and scenario, Satan was tempting Jesus in order to cause him to fall so he could disqualify him as the savior of the world. See, God tests. Satan tempts. That word test means to prove. Now, does God test you to prove to him what you're made of? No, God already knows. God will test you and prove you so that you will see what your heart is like. Satan tempts and seeks to destroy and to tear down God's people. Well, the first of the three temptations. Notice number one, the Father's provision. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.